Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. Today, our guest is Michael Hausenblas. He is a developer advocate for AWS, and he loves containers. <laughs> if it's not obvious enough uh, from our conversation, you can read his two books, which are on Kubernetes. It was really interesting discussion around container security at scale. What would basic container security look like for someone who's starting off today? We even spoke about his CNCF projects. But overall, if you are new to containers, you don't want to miss this episode. As always, we appreciate if you would share this episode with someone who you think would get value from it, whether it's by learning a new information they haven't heard about or if they're trying to do something in container security. We also appreciate you leaving a star review or giving us a rating on iTunes. It always helps us get some more interesting guests on the show. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? A lot of people ask me how do I get started on a podcast. One of the easiest ways that I've found to start a podcast is through an app called Anchor. They have a web version and a mobile version. The best part about the app is that you can record directly from your phone. And they have background music that you can use along with your podcast as you do introduction. It has tons of features for podcast. The best part is it takes care of the distribution as well. It distributes to Apple, Google, Spotify, some of the major providers of podcasts. So they take care of the distribution and also on top of it, they pay you money for running ads on your podcast. So to get started on your podcast today, head to anchor.fm. Also check out help.anchor.fm where they have a lot of useful information for people who are starting out on podcast. So just go out and start your own podcast today. Welcome to Cloud Security Podcast. Today, our guest is Michael. He is a developer advocate working for AWS at the moment, and I'm really excited to have him here to talk about container security. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. Um, for people who don't know you and haven't read any of your blogs or YouTube videos that you have, how do you uh, tell people what do you do and um, how do you introduce yourself to people? So I'm a practitioner trying to help people to um, you know, use containers safely. You know, they, these pointy things that you're <laughs> running with those, you hurt yourself. Um, more seriously, I'm a, a product developer advocate in the AWS Container Service Team. And container security is, is uh, one of the main things I'm looking after. I'm a Kubernetes head. I've been doing Kubernetes for five years. So uh, obviously, Kubernetes is very close to my heart. Uh, but also uh, observability issues or, or you know, um, tooling uh, challenges around that. Um, mainly CNCF uh, open source projects, including Fluentbit and uh, Prometheus. Kubernetes is definitely how I came across your name as well. So we're, right. definitely, we're definitely on the right topic. <laughs> I did want to ask, what does the staff developer adequate mean? Like, what do you do? Right, right. So we um, work together with our customers. Uh, it's inbound, right, to, to understand their, their challenges, influence our roadmap, um, help our PMs to launch products and features. And um, there, there are outbound elements in terms of, you know, speaking at events or whatever, but it is really mainly working with customers, uh, understanding their challenges or how they want to want to use the product um, and, and get get that feedback to, to PM and engineering and to, to help launch products. Yeah, perfect. And our audience 
on cloud security podcast very varied this could be security architects i've got people who are security enthusiasts as well so it's kind of like a uh, a wide spectrum of experience level for right. people who don't know what cncf is right. i mentioned cncf earlier but i know yeah. what it is but people may not know what it is right. so what is that good um the cloud native compute foundation has been around for a couple of years it was initially um set up and designed to find a place for communities so initially uh, google owned or, or you know created google communities and uh tried to find a place to to um make sure that it has a neutral um you know in terms of of ip and, and so on it has a neutral place and the linux foundation um based foundation always makes sense and so they, they created this cncf which now grew you know we have many many projects there when i say we i mean with my uh, cncf ambassador cloud ambassador uh, head uh, on so i feel part of, of that community so there are many many more projects some of them that directly came out of the communities um you know ecosystem like etd for example um prometheus etc the others that you know were submitted to the cncf and which are now considered part of, of the cloud native stack that's a great explanation i was going to ask because you mentioned cloud and container and one of the questions that i ask a lot of guests is what does cloud security mean for them but i think I've, I've, what is container security is more appropriate over here in a cloud context or what does container security in cloud look for, like look like for you so there there are two approaches to that i believe on the one hand you know you can have you know come up with new very very new and and exciting concepts you know shift left or shift right i never remember so this this, this idea of you know uh, moving more to self self service for developers um and then many many other things if you break it down really like you know i assume that everyone is kind of familiar with with what the cloud is right it's kind yeah. of like you know you you rent capacity and what not in the same way that you rent electricity right yeah uh, just switch it on and pay for whatever you you're using this idea um and on the other hand containers as you know containers like containers are a lie right i mean don't tell anyone but containers are, don't really exist right if you look into the linux kernel right or if you ask linux if you meet him over a beer uh there are no containers right there are things like c groups and namespaces um copyright file systems that exist as components yep. and then docker came along docker incorporated the company um and and created a very nice thing the package you know the way how things are run how how namespaces and c groups and what not which are a little finicky and a little hard to to use on their own how anyone you know any developer anyone who who is not necessarily deep into the kernel can actually use it and that's what the runtime and, and the image format which essentially technically again is just a zip file with a json metadata file explaining how these layers relate to each other um and that's what we nowadays know and 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 use as containers right so if you break it down if you have you know if you're a sys admin who has 10 years of linux administration experience under your belt yeah and you have been using any 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 cloud uh guess what you're already you know very well set up <laughs> for container security in the cloud because you have all these basics already sorted out you know what a namespace does you know what a c group does you know how to you know look for certain things in in c groups or namespaces especially if you've been doing stuff with systemd you should be rather familiar with with c groups i assume so there's really not much new in terms of underlying technologies has yep. been around for many years yep. it's really just about the overall packaging and of course there are new like uh, names new labels new concepts but if you look at any of the given things in kubernetes right 
what is you know um, a service. It's really just a mini load balancer in front of parts for east-west traffic, right? And then it's like many many of the things that you know now have an exciting new name have been around and then have been established way 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 earlier. Now they've been kind of like standardized, have, have been you know, formalized in, in, in that sense. Oh, right. And, and to your point, the security of that is doesn't really change. It's just more, um, I guess, new services with, sorry, old services with new label, but the security context has made right. very similar. Right. I mean, if you, if you want to, I don't know if that's the best analogy. I just made it up. So, you know, if, if it doesn't fly, and you will see that in a second why, why, I'm, why I'm smirking at that. So imagine you, know, you, you look at a plane that was built 100, 120 years ago, right? Yeah. Basically the same elements as today, right? Wings, engine, and yeah. whatever. Um, but without any, any doubt, currently what you're currently looking at, it's way, way, way more complicated, right? Because there are many, many more things that are automated. You have many, many more moving parts and so on. Yeah. So you have many, many more potential points where it can break down, right? That's right. I mean, still like, you know, a, a plane without, you know, with a missing wing was back then a problem and it's still a problem. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. now you have many, many more problems that you back then didn't have because it was like, you know, this, this kind of like mechanical connection between your steering wheel and, and the back and there was yeah. no three computers in there in, in between. So, you know, that kind of thing. And in the same way, it's like it, we're still facing the same issues, right? You, you're still, if you're on the blue team and trying to defend a Kubernetes cluster, Right, you still have to defend 360, right? Yeah. And an attacker just needs one single thing to get in, right? This is still the same problem, and if you leave something open, then this is the same issue as having something open on a on a whatever uh, app server on on a you know a monolithic setup on, in your data center on premises. It's it's really just many many more moving parts. Things have become many you know, manifold and complicated. So you need to know, you need to be aware of many, many more things that you need to take care of, defend. And not all, like I once said in an interview that I, I think, and I got a lot of flack for that thing, I think that Kubernetes is actually safe by default. <laughs> and what I actually should have said is, there are all these controls in there, not all defaults are necessarily configured in a way that it's not an automatic footgun. So, it's everything is there yeah. <laughs> if, if you, you know, disable the things right or enable the things right. So out, out of the box default is maybe not the, the correct thing, but all the, it has all the, the things that, that you need. You know, you have service accounts there, et cetera, et cetera. You have everything perfect. There that you need to build it. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess it's up to the user to configure it or I guess misconfigure it. The other question that I wanted to ask about was your blog article about polyglot cloud native compute. <laughs> what is, so for uh, what is that, and um, okay, what can you tell us about that? Right. So the 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 meme itself, this polyglot blah blah, is um, is obviously you know a ripoff of the oh, I can't remember twenty can't remember maybe 10 12 years ago um polyglot persistence right this insight that in the context of microservices that you have many different kinds of data stores and you know, use the best of breed or the best for the use case rather yep. than fitting everything into a relation database and my observation was essentially the same with um you know i see very often discussions both you know on social media and with customers this kind of like you know containers versus lambda right or or whatever right i was like 
Well, in reality, I think what we will see over time, and maybe we're already seeing you know, the first bits of it, is that we, we are living in a polyglot world where um, for certain things, certain abstraction levels make more or less sense. Um, so I do not think that there will be a world where, you know, like everything will run in a container on Kubernetes, right? Mm -hmm. Or everything will be Lambda or everything will be mainframes or everything will be VMs. We just have more and more layers or more and more tools in our toolbox available, right? So initially it was essentially just mainframes and then came data centers and then, you know, you had this kind of virtual machine ideas and then came containers and, and, and you know, function as a service, Lambda uh, stuff. So you have more and more tools at your disposal to do compute. And then you, your job is essentially to figure out what is the right compute unit for a given task. In the same way that in, in the context of, you know, uh, storage or, or persistence, you would say, hey, for this use case, I think it's better to use um, a NoSQL type database that does key value stores or document DB or whatever. And yep. here, a relation database is actually the better choice, right? And in the same way, I think we will, going forward, do that much, much more with uh, that kind of stuff, with cloud native stuff as well. We say, well, in this case, we need very tight control over, over everything, so we end up in a container setup. And in this case, the, the um, developer velocity and simplicity is, is of paramount importance, and so we're going to go with, with some functions to service. Oh, sweet. Uh, the way I analyze this is more like the right solution or tool for the right problem. Audience in Cloud Security Podcast, as I was saying earlier, has is a bit of a varied skill set. So if someone who's starting today with containers or Kubernetes in a, I don't know, insert cloud provider here, it could be Amazon, Google or whatever, what are the basic security things they can look out for and or they could be doing in terms of sanitation? If the interesting enough, the basic things are are really uh, simple, right? You you don't need to, you know, many people see um, things like you know, container image signing and supply chain and so on. And I'm I'm a big fan of it. All I'm saying is, let's get the basics right. Let's do you know our homework. Let's get that that we have a proper foundation. And then we can build on that foundation to do more advanced stuff, which is you know cool and interesting. But get the, the basics right, and that includes things like you know. Always define a user in, in a Docker file, right? Because that's something that unfortunately, while everything else did it really well, that's the one thing that uh, Docker unfortunately didn't do. And, and that was um, essentially not creating this, this um, pattern that people would copy and paste and use by default the user, which means without the user, the, the Docker file, the semantics is that the container image and by implication, the, the container running that is root, which is unnecessary for almost all cases. Um, then you you want to do, which is table sticks nowadays, um, you want to do a container, a static container image scanning. So essentially in the process of, or, or when you push it into your registry, uh, as I said, it's table stakes, right? We offer it as well for free, part of ECR. So it's, it's like, and everyone has it. Like it's, this is table stakes, right? It's just, you should do it. There is no reason not to do it. Um, and then from then on, it's, it's you know, a number of things that, that are good practices, but it's getting already like a little bit um, more involved in the sense of that you need to have a strategy, for example, around uh, container runtime security. How do you go about that? Do you uh, actively look at the at the runtime, what is going on there? Um, 
are you you know uh, using secomb or whatever um profiles and communities have to set that right are you using things like pod security policies um one, one of the low-hanging fruits though is uh, network policies which um i wish to some extent that it's so it, it is part it is native communities because you know the, the um, resources exist but the enforcement of these network policies um you need to do through something right you need to have a cni plugin that actually supports that and that's something especially for networking folks and also security folks which is probably a bit surprising that uh by default all the pods can talk to each other throughout all and see each other throughout all the namespaces right when i saw that the first time i was like wow <laughs> that's uh that's interesting yeah right? so in other words you pretty much need a network policy that you know initially just denies everything and then you just open up selectively and say okay here you can talk to this other one and here you can have ingress etc cetera, etc cetera. um from a security perspective it's a little bit shocking or interesting but as i said again the things are there right <laughs> network policies are there there's no reason not to use it yeah the requirement is you need a cni plugin that actually allows you to enforce these network policies. Um, that's already pretty much it. Everything else is like, you know, on top of that, sure, there are things um, around how to, you know, good practices, how do you deal with, um, you know, end-to-end -end encryption, MTLS, uh, within, typically within a service mesh. Um, you can uh, go down really the route of full supply chain management that you track the, the entire lineage, where does something come from, even including uh, image signing, et cetera. But most, most of the things are already like 80% is already done if you do the basics, right? Yeah. Um, creating, I, I guess to your point, uh, are there things like, oh, it's storing image in a local registry instead of like an online registry so that you have a local copy of it? Or I, I guess benchmarks? I see that quite often. Yeah, I see that quite often that, you know, um, companies have something you know either locally on premises or whatever um and and only essentially push um maybe once a day or whatever scanned proper trusted images to let's say ecr where, where they have their prod environment uh, yeah. then yes, yes. it's uh, for, for multiple reasons but yes one of them sure right secure. right do you find that containers are um ephemeral uh, to a large extent or is it more long-standing pets or oh, sorry not pets rather than cattle i guess yes 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 so in general it goes even a step further nowadays i mean the, the you know cats versus pedal did i just say cats versus pedal yeah <laughs> cats versus cattle uh nice for uh that that you know has been around for long and you know, immutable infrastructure etc but nowadays it's, it's actually like treat treat clusters right entire clusters as as cattle right you should be able to ramp up the entire cluster from whatever your your environment is um including all the components that we want to have in there you know monitoring and logging tracing everything yeah. uh just like that because if you have an issue whatever you just you know you it and start fresh right don't don't try to fix a cluster and then you know have the same thing that you had with vms or whatever uh, 10 years ago yeah. Uh, and, and containers, obviously, by extension. And I think the maybe the, the more interesting question is, if I may slightly rephrase that, is are, are they supposed to be stateless or not? And that is where it's a bit like, you know, where do you draw the line? If you look at the Lambda function, the function as a service, um, which by nature, by design, is stateless, and you have this um, this challenge of, of what we call state hydration, right? If you have a function that is stateless and that doesn't you know, need any state to do something useful, 
that's great, right? In yep. the same way, if you have a long, long-running container that you know just you know, I don't know, transforms something, whatever, doesn't need any state to, to function. That's fine. If you, however, need some state, right? You might need to query a relation database or pull something from S3 or whatever external stuff. Then what can happen, and that is more problematic with Lambda, to be honest, but because containers are long running or you know running all the time, so they can kind of like cache something, and it, 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 the amortization over time is is, is higher and better uh, compared to to short running things like Lambda. Um, but still, the, the the challenge is there, right? Where, where do you draw the line between you know stateless and a bit of it depends a bit on yeah. some external state versus fully state. Uh, stateful. I, I have a strong opinion on the the most letter, like the the fully the, the actual like data stores, right? Should I be running a Postgres, Galera, whatever cluster on Kubernetes? Like, sure, um, <laughs> possible, right? There are you know uh, you can write in custom controller and you can do a lot of things yourself. But in this case, I would actually encourage people to have a look at what your cloud provider uh, has. You know, in terms of, of managed uh, databases, data stores, and you probably be better off with that. Uh, so if you're thinking like end to end, like. So I was gonna say, so containers should be stateless. Is what is that what you're saying? And move data stores to say something like an RDS or a dedicated data store. If 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 the question is, you know, really a pure data store, right? You know, database, data store, uh, Cassandra and MongoDB and and. Postgres and MySQL, Maria, whatever. Um, my answer would be, well, if if you if you know how to run that thing, right? Yeah. It's not only data stories. It's like you know Kafka and many many anything that you know persistently keeps some data around. That's pretty good. Um, if you know how to run that thing in a non-containerized setup, right? Yeah. Then great, because then you can relatively straightforward take that experience and write a custom controller that essentially codifies what you did manually. And, you know, there's, those are many things that is like, um, and I have seen the same thing at, at Mesosphere when we like then uh, wrote uh, framework uh, schedulers, which essentially is the equivalent of Kubernetes custom controller, um, which did the same thing, right? If you knew how to do Cassandra and Kafka, whatever, in a non-containerized setup, you're able to put them into a, controller or whatever that essentially does the same steps that you do manually. Um, it's still hard, I would argue that, um, you know, if you're human and, and you've been operating, let's say a Kafka cluster for, for five years, uh, you kind of like, you know, even by just listening to the, to how the lock, locks zump, hum or whatever, you can tell what's going on. Encoding that into a custom controller is super hard, right? You can, in general, you can say, yeah, you know, if this, the broker is not balanced and create another broker, whatever. But sometimes it's just the human intuition, whether that says like, mm, no, let's wait another five minutes. There might be something, <laughs> you know, with all these exceptions, right? Are you really yep. able to capture all of that? So that's where I say, maybe, maybe uh, have a look at, at what your cloud provider offers. Yeah, maybe okay. you're better off. Um, but I, I see a lot of use cases where, you know, you have these, um, you know, the bespoke, essentially written, where you might might not even have the the binary anymore or the S or the, the source code anymore. You only have the binary. Yeah. And then, you know, what can you do other than putting it into into a container Docker file and then creating containerizing it and running it? 
uh, and you might have you know an embedded database or whatever some hard dependency and you cannot change it and then you know lift and shift is fine until you are at the point where you can really re-architecture and maybe somehow externalize this, this stateful part uh, and i think it's an interesting point because the more complicated you make your structure the more complicated say something like incident response and forensic could be as well yeah because because I imagine so it, the way I see it, and I'm keen to know your opinion on this, incident response and forensic doesn't really change much like in terms of how you would do it for a container environment in cloud versus a regular server environment or a VM environment in cloud. Is that right? I mean, tools may be different, of course, but... Yeah, I would argue that because of the... of like Usually when you have a... It doesn't matter if it's a VM or... But, it does matter, but in terms of dimension, it doesn't matter so much. If you have a VM or like bare metal, where you typically have the expectations that you know have months, if not years, of running that thing, versus containers where you know ah, you might have a P80 of I don't know an hour or, or maybe even less, mm -hmm. um, depending on your workload, right? And sorry, P80 essentially eighty percent. Yep, your containers are. are younger or, or die after an hour and and this is kind of like you know at scale you can't really worry about or or kind of like focus on this and an individual uh, container or pod right you might have for forensics reasons right where you say you take this pod out of the deployment by removing the label and then you keep it running to do some forensics on top of that yes but like I don't want to get paged about a random pod in a Kubernetes cluster with thousand nodes or, or five hundred nodes that has thousands and thousands of pods running. I don't care, right? I might not even care about an end by deployment. Um, what I care about: what does the overall cluster do? Uh, how well is it distributed? I might have certain business critical, you know, services or, or deployments. I'm, I'm really really caring about but you know you, you you cannot you you might be able to you know really scrape all the metrics from all of that for for other purposes but you cannot be alerted of that that's just that's that's crazy right you, you yeah and i think to your point the thing that created it is the real i guess point of interest right because container is just creating what it has been unless it's like an application which was somehow had a vulnerability and that container was specifically the affected resource. Right. Everything else sh should have come from a template, like a Docker file or something. Right. And so that is also, that is an attack vector. I've seen it already once or twice that sometimes people come with expectations that turn out not to be true, right? For example, uh, a lot of people believe that if you look at the container image, like Docker, you know, OCI, the image itself, um, that this is immutable, right? Yeah. Um, which Kubernetes actually expects, right? Just, okay, with this tag, you know, must be the same. Now, it turns out that um, a really, like, repeatable build that if you put together a Docker file today and you say, you know, Docker build, and I take your Docker file tomorrow and say Docker build, then the hashes of our two container images, the resulting container images, should be the same. Right, mm -hmm. that's the idea of repeatable build. That's right. <laughs> that's the idea, or, or yeah. the, the idle case, which is almost never the case because <laughs> that's so true as well. everything because yeah because because the the tags in Docker, the semantics there is that they're that they're mutable, right? So I might you know say 
oh yeah, but you know, I've been using whatever Amazon Linux, blah, 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 blah. And you said, yeah, I use the same. Uh, but someone, you know, fixed the, you know, some security issue, whatever, and did not decide to create a new tag, but labeled with the same tag. So when I do that build today, I'm actually pulling a different base image. Right? Not that someone in our case would do it, but you know, you know what I mean, the, the basic yeah. idea. Um, and so the only chance you really have is to, to use hashes, uh, you know, unique, you know, a git commit hash or whatever, uniquely generated, uh, automatically applied hashes and, and not rely on these, you know, humanly assigned label labels uh, that, that you, know, you come up with, you know, this is version 1.12 or whatever, because they are mutable. And by that, you know, you, you, you never know about a human deciding, oh, no, no, that's actually the same version, just as a second patch in there. That's fine. It's <laughs> so you, you, you really got to be careful, even if you think all of that is totally mutable, turns out, uh, since you do not control, like you control certain bits, but you control a lot of those things, you know, base images or whatever out there. Um, are not under your control. And yeah. you can, um, unless you cache everything and have everything under your control, which is again, pretty hard to achieve, you um, you simply don't have uh, the guarantee there. And that's oh. where, well, coming, coming to this, you know, expectation versus reality. Oh, so, and kind of going back to that earlier question that I asked you about someone who's starting off, who maybe aren't as mature. So what's a mature container security like then? So they have, um, Going by the previous answer you gave, would they be having unique hashes for each GitHub commit that has been done, which is used to trace what change was done to a container? So if there was an incident, they can come back to the hash yeah, and yeah. find out what so had that, happened. That, that would I, I would even argue that's not even like that's not advanced. That's like our at least in our customer base, like mature customers, that's that's a good practice. Uh, advanced would be things like, you know, someone actually has, um, you know, for example, notary-based, tough-based um, image, container image signing in place, have um, some supply chain management like CNCF in total or whatever in place. So at any point in time can, can say, you know, I'm looking at this container in this namespace, in this part, and I can tell, well, it was this developer at this point in time. And I can not only tell, but can prove that it came from, you know, the desk of. In the same way that, think about it, if you, if you nowadays eat meat or whatever, you can, or you should be able to track it down and see, yes, it was from this farmer and, it, you know, oh, preferred to sleep on the, on the south end or whatever. Exactly that kind of thing, right? This, the, the equivalent of that would be the supply chain management. But at any point in time, you can say and also based on this knowledge uh, make policies that you say well you know um the policy is if someone leaves us then uh, no new images can be deployed even if, if if it's still in the registry or whatever right any of these decisions you can only make if you have clear lineage of, of all the artifacts in the enterprise right. so how do you see your mature audiences or mature customers measure is there a way to measure cloud security, I guess, or ongoingly? And if so, how often should they be doing it? Or if there's a tool for it, I guess. So measuring in the sense of like, you know, having a, a or a set of indicators, I think doesn't make a lot of sense. I think security is something, um, it's like, you know, in, in, in music or whatever, if you stop practicing, um, then, you know, you, you usually, get worse over time. It's, it's like swimming up, uh, up river, um, which means you can, 
you can constantly test someone, right? You can have pen testers or whatever saying like, look, uh, we believe that we did all, we covered all our bases, try to, you know, with a certain, uh, try to get the data, try to do something. And based on that, you can, you can iterate. I, I, I don't really think that there is something like, you know, the checklist of things that, you know, I can give a, a rubber stamp, I can give your approval. <laughs> yes, you are, you're perfectly set up. Uh, I, and this is not, not my, also not my aim. My aim is about awareness because there are so many moving parts. Uh, communicating and establishing and communicating uh, good practices around that, essentially seeing what, what works for others, trying to, you know, codify that or, or share that. Yep. Um, and then, and then based on that, as I said, I very much believe in, in this kind of like, you know, red team pen tester approach where you see, uh, where you can actually test your, your <laughs> the, the imagined uh, shield that you've put around your infrastructure. Oh yeah. And I, but I guess where I'm coming more from is that, oh, cause pen tests won't happen that often. It would, I mean, because like, budget constraints, obviously. Um, and a lot of people would just say, I'm deploying this feature. It's not really a major feature, it's just a minor feature. So we don't really need to do pen test. Like, you know how things like that happen. And that's kind of where a lot of security folks would ask about, well, it's all well and good, but if I were to go six months after a pen test, how do I know what my current security posture for my kind of cluster right. is? Like, things right. like that, that's kind of where I'm, I was coming from. Mm. Yeah, I think it's still early days uh, to to really have a, a good, solid opinion on that. So I, as I said, I believe um, we all should be doing that and, and have have these you know reviews and and uh, actual attacks. It could be internal, it could be external. Um, maybe um, one can automate. I, I've started uh, noodling around on a tool that essentially. I don't know if you're familiar with this this idea of doing chaos testing, essentially mm -hmm. nuking random yep, parts. Chaos engineering, how yeah. you're, exactly, right. And the, the question is, can you automate that to a certain degree? Essentially, think of it like, you know, you have something that you, uh, all the, the known, you know, misconfigurations and whatnot that Kubernetes clusters have, where you just point, uh, point this script or this tool at, at your Kubernetes cluster and say, go, right? And, Obviously, this is not comparable with an actual human doing penetration testing, but you know, catching catching common things uh, at least it's automated, and you get you can run that I don't know every other week or whatever, and you get yep. this basic coverage for free. That that would be, and there are already um, few of those um, out there. Uh, yep. I'm definitely not the first. Um, uh, Control Plane, UK based uh, startup, uh, Andrew Martin. Um, has has really something out there. So there, there are many, you know, uh, folks who think along the same thing. At least automating the, the basics that you know people can then focus on on higher level things sure. where you actually need humans. Cool. No, thank you. Uh, great answer. Uh, that's a good way for me to get into my next segment. If you're like me and enjoy music, you would definitely love the Spotify app. The Spotify app is one place for all your favorite artists and podcast hosts. Yeah, I know they have podcasts as well. I had no idea. It's a great spot to listen to your favorite artists for free. You don't, you don't have to pay any money for it. You just download the app from your Apple Store or your Google Play and start listening today. They have a premium version as well, which allows you to download songs for, for those times when there is no internet, which happens in some parts of the world. So it's a great app. If you haven't done this already, 
go on your Spotify app, search for Cloud Security Podcast, give us a follow so you don't miss out on an episode. The next segment is called MythBuster. And it's basically, what are the myths around container security in cloud that you hear quite commonly? I think with containers, it's, it's I don't know if they're really myths, it's more like misconceptions. Maybe it's a bit like, you know, e- expectations being so high that it's kind of like the silver bullet that's the, that solves all your problems, where it's really just like, you know, it's a, like, what do containers really do? Well, they do, they, they manage in a very nice way to do application level dependency management, right? That's what they're for. Yeah. Uh, they're not primarily for isolation guarantees, et cetera, right? And, and that's where, you know, for the longest time, initially, I remember when we started off explaining containers, we always said, it's not a VM. <laughs> and we meant it always in the, in the, the regulatory bad ways, like, you know, hey, you know, containers are super fast startup. And I remember, I was back at MapR and, and we had a look at, I think it was Mesos. And we, and one of our engineers there, security engineers said, uh, I was shaking his hands like, but they're all, it's, they are, all of them, all of these containers are all sharing the same kernel. That's, that's insane. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> good, good point, right? And, and you know, Yes, there are projects like we have Firecracker that you know allow you to to do to reintroduce this kind of isolation guarantees that you had, and w- without you know going back to this like minutes of startup time for a VM, right? You still have you know seconds or subseconds of startup yeah. time. Um, but really, this this is the kind of like awareness and education that that is still very much needed. Maybe yeah. like bloated expectations, where in reality it's like look. It's just, you know, stuff that we've been doing for a long, long time, which now increasingly gets marketed and, and, you know, packaged in in more sexy terms and more Uh, hot terms than than, than it really So I guess just in that same vein, then what are people not talking enough about in container security? So the the people I'm across, you know, cloud providers and whatnot and, and, and customers and so on, I think talk actually about the right things. I think that the number one challenge is, and it's, it's getting better, is that um, it's clear, it must be clear that in this containerized setup, um, in any like microservice setup where you have you know, smaller units, many of those interacting, you're dealing with distributed systems, um, this, it, it must be a shared responsibility. It must be, you know, this can't be the job of the security team that comes in at some point in time and says, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. It, you know, the developers need to be aware of that. Like, oh, I can't bake a secret into a container image, right? I cannot put the password in there, right? <laughs> Everyone else who gets, gets an image has that password, right? To uh, obviously operations, like everyone, everyone needs to be aware of it. Each and everyone needs to do their share. Yeah. And and maybe the security folks more from a enforcer and no, you're not allowed to to a coaching. Like, hey, you know, these are good practices here. The tools, how you can check yourself if you you know conform to everything. More like coaches and and uh, yeah, coaches essentially. Oh, cool. No, thank you. That's a great answer. I've got my final section now, which is the fun question. 
in the fun question section, this was non-technical. So, and that's why my first question is, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on, say, containers or tech? So the answer is, um, it's, it's a little sad because mm. my like hobby is the same as my job. And that is essentially developing stuff. It could be hardware, software, whatever, but it's also developing. So our kids, we have three kids, 12, 15, and 16. It's like, Dad, it's really hard to tell if you're working or if you're having fun <laughs> like for yourself because it looks the same, right? <laughs> right. You're sitting in front of a laptop and doing something. Like, yeah, that's true. I'm very sorry. No, but we have a dog. And I, I, I love it. So, um, and that's a good way to get into the next one. Then, what is something that you're proud of but is not on your socials? Um, I'm... Depending on who you ask, my, my missus might, might disagree, but I'm a fairly good cook. I, I believe that I'm a fairly decent cook, Ooh. depending on who you ask. Some of the kids say yes, some of them say no. Like that. Anyway, I, I, I like to cook. I like any, any kind of menu, really. Oh, okay. Because that's perfect for my next question as well, because my next question was going to be, what's your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you uh, can share? <laughs> can, can, I, can I say that by... Negating, I, I do live in Ireland, so I, I'm, I'm sorry, every, everyone who watches that in Ireland. <laughs> uh, anything but the Irish kitchen, like I, I'm really like I'm super flexible anywhere, anything. I, I don't mind what, but um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of um, variety around here in Ireland. So pretty much right. anything but. Maybe let me just say another way. What's the what's the thing you enjoy cooking? I do a lot of things with uh, any kind of uh, you know vegetables. You know, it could be you know combination with you know, cheese or whatever. But any, I like doing stuff with with vegetables. Awesome, like. cool. That 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 was pretty much the show. But thank you for the uh, great interview as well. Um, where Cheers. can people find you on social media? Right. So if you take the first letter of my first name and then the my last name, so mhausenplus.info, uh, and pretty much everywhere else. So, you know, Twitter, mhausenplus, LinkedIn, mhausenplus, GitHub, mhausenplus. It was really amazing to have you. So I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.